We are thankful, Lord Jesus, for your incredible sacrifice. And we're thankful for the grace that you've offered us by way of your shed blood and accomplished work. We're thankful that we can be here today. And guide us now as we turn our attention to your word, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. Just let me add my voice to two things. The first is this. This coming Saturday is the women's retreat here for the day. Many of you coming out of COVID are trying to figure out the establishment of relationship and what that looks like. And I'd encourage you to come. There'll be great teaching, wonderful worship, but also an opportunity to connect. So whether you're someone who's felt disconnected or you're newer to our church and you're a woman here and you, you want to connect with someone, I would just encourage you to come Saturday. The information is online. And then our men's retreat is coming the end of May. Uh, Peter Mahaffey is our speaker. He was a former intern here, now a pastor in Toronto. He's a great guy, great preacher. Um, we are going to have barbecue. It's camping. Um, so there's 30 spots indoor uh, and then camping. Because some of you guys came to me and said, even if we have to camp. Dave Heska, you were one of them. Do you remember? Oh, you said that in the elders meeting. Dwayne, even if we have to camp. Yeah, you remember. So Dave's camping. No, I'm kidding. I'm not. But the first 30 to sign up indoors get the indoor spot. The rest of you are camping. But it's going to be activities, great teaching. Encourage you to sign up. It's a great way to get to know other men. Peter is an outstanding Bible teacher. And I'm so excited that he's coming to do that as one of our former interns. God's spirit is in you. Do you know that today? God's spirit is in you. If you're a Christian, if you're a believer, that is true. The Spirit of God is in you. And I'd like to suggest that there's probably no greater way to live in frustration, at least as a believer, than to know that truth and not live it out. To know that truth, to know that God's Spirit is in you, to know that He is there, and to not rely on Him, to not depend on Him. To not grow in what it means to hear him. The word of God says that he is our counselor and he is our guide. And when we decide that we will live by our own counsel, when we decide that we will live by our own guidance, when we decide that we will live in our own strength or even engage in spiritual war on our own, I'd like to suggest there's probably no greater way to live in frustration as a Christian than that, because you will continue to find yourself in defeat. You will just continue to find yourself in defeat. So as we come to the end of Acts 12 and then Acts 13, we have this passage where you see the leaders of the day relying on God's spirit. Listen to the word of God, Acts 12, 25. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark, John Mark. And so they finish the mission that they had. They begin to return. Um, now at the church in Antioch, there are prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. First note, there are prophets and teachers here in the church. So there are those that have a word from the Lord for an individual or the community. And there are those who are teaching the word of the Lord. Those that have a word from the Lord aren't offering words of God that are inerrant and infallible like his word, the Bible. Only God's word granted to us is inerrant and infallible. But the word of God, God may have spoken to them and granted them a word to someone. We'll see that in a moment. That's what happens here. The spirit speaks, likely through a prophet. It doesn't say that, but likely it wasn't the spirit's audible voice they heard. It's likely through a prophet that they heard the spirit speak. And there's teachers and I want you to note some of the composition of the church that's here. I mean, Menaean is there. And what does it say about him? He was brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. He's, in our terminology, he's a prince. He's wealthy. And often we think of wealthy people as being unable to be reached. Later on, we'll see 
a gentleman who's in politics comes to faith in Christ. Our politicians aren't too far that they cannot be saved. I mean, some of them are. So I want you to note what's happening here. They're worshiping and fasting. They're fasting and praying. And as they're doing so, God's spirit, whom they're depending on in worship and fasting and fasting and prayer, speaks and says, set apart from me Barnabas and Saul to the work to which I've called them. So they lay their hands on them and set them apart. Now, a couple of things are important. It doesn't say where they're going. So Barnabas and Saul, whew, like this is quite a, a, a moment of trust. It doesn't say, hey, Barnabas and Saul, here's where you're going. They don't know that yet. They just know they're being set apart for God's work. That's all they know. If today God told you that he was setting you apart for his work and going to send you somewhere, and you have no clue where he's going to send you, like zero clue, is your answer yes? Is your answer yes? They lay hands on them to indicate that there's a commissioning, and they begin to send them off. Now, note the community is worshiping and fasting and praying and fasting. It shows their dependence on God. This mission has just finished, the first of it. We're now going to enter into what we call the three missionary journeys of Paul. This will be the first missionary journey of Paul. And they're praying, God, what's next? They're dependent on him. God, what would you have us do? Now, once they get there, they know what to do. They go to synagogues. They teach the word of God. They proclaim the gospel. But God, where would you have us go? What would you have us do? That should be our posture all the time. We're dependent on you. And note it talks about fasting. When was the last time you fasted? Some of you know we've, you know, kind of hit a bit of a roadblock looking for a new children's ministry director. And Diana has chosen to stay on with us till June 15th as her and her husband are building a house up in Huntsville and uh, Paul. And, uh, and she's going to leave June 15th to go and help her daughter move in Vancouver. She's got two of her kids are in Vancouver. Her two kids are in Vancouver. Um, and grandkids are there. Um, and so we've hired a consultant to work with us in hiring someone. But our hope isn't in the consultant. He's a great guy, godly guy, loves the Lord. Our hope is in the Lord. And so we should be in diligent prayer and we should also be fasting. We should be taking times where we actually fast. What is fasting? Fasting is taking typically a day or longer where you choose not to eat, maybe not even to drink. And you take that time and you focus that concentrated effort on discerning God's will, on hearing from the Spirit. That is fasting. It's saying, God, I'm going to show you that I'm so dependent on you for my existence, for my sustenance, that I'm not even going to depend on food these days. I'm not even going to depend at times on, on water or juice. I'm simply going to depend on you. I'm just going to depend on you because I need to hear from you. And you'll see through Acts that there are times when the church pauses to fast and pray, typically at junctures like this. What would that look like in our lives? Choosing a school, a vocation, buying a business, buying a house, where you'll rent, Asking God for a spouse. These things and others, I'm just listing a few, like as God leads you, should be done in fasting and prayer. Should be done where you just pause and say, God, I'm going to be so fully dependent on you in this moment that you will be my sustenance as you lead and guide me. You know, Jesus doesn't say if you says, he says, not, sorry, Jesus doesn't say if you fast, he says when you fast. When you fast. So when do you fast? When do you fast? I need to fast more, I feel like, for a variety of reasons. But as I've been thinking about the whole children's ministry director, fasting is something that's a regular part of my routine. But it's easy to break a fast. Come to the end of the day, your wife's made a good dinner for the kids, and you're like, I am hungry. Have a bit of a headache sometimes when you fast. I, that happens to me occasionally. And I'm like, okay, Lord, I'm just going to dig in. I've kind of spent, and, and it's easy to just, no, I'm going to set this day apart. I'm going to fast for you. And what happens? God's spirit shows up. 
God the Spirit shows up and actually says to them, likely through a prophet, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. They lay hands on them and they set them off. I mean, we need to be dependent on God. Paul may remember this. We were dealing with someone with demonization a number of years ago. We called on other people who, um, I'll talk about this more in the fall when I talk about uh, spiritual warfare, but who were dealing more with demonization than we were. We formed a prayer team around this person and called them in, praying that we'd be able to release this person from the demonization they were experiencing. As we did so, multiple demons were manifesting themselves, um, and we could, we could, well, we could just see it. And as the demons were manifesting itself, and the other pastor was kind of leading this time, uh, we were all praying. We'd been fasting as well, and just been like, God, we need you to lead us. There were five of us doing this at the time, two women, three men, another lead pastor who's more experienced in this area than we were. And as this was happening, and this was all occurring, we all wrote down the same word. We didn't know this. The pastor who was responsible for it, John Mahaffey, shut kind of the whole thing down, and... Uh, and, and told the demons because we figured there was a demon so whenever there's multiple demons within someone there's always a demon that's in charge and the other demons will protect that demon so that you'll cast them out rather than the, the demon that's in charge and so you need to get to the demon that's in charge the demon that is ultimately responsible some of you are looking really freaked out right now maybe i should have told this illustration so anyway um maybe i should wait until the fall but here we go so so in that we shut down all the manifestations of what was going on john john did that and then we went out of the room and we were just praying for the person. I don't remember who said it, but someone said, what word did the Spirit bring to mind? And we'd all written down the word mockery. Now, mockery isn't a word that I use very often. It's not a word that comes to my natural vocabulary. We went back into the room as we were dealing with this demonization. And, and this is a great moment in my life, actually, because John said, listen, demons also follow, like there's order of command in the demonic, but there's also chain, like, chain of command. There's also order of command in terms of pastoral. And because, because this person is under your care, it's now up to you, man. I mean, it's up to the Lord, but you got to take charge. I'm like, what? That's why I called you. What do you mean? It's up to me. So we went in and I asked if the demon that was manifesting itself was mockery and we saw manifestation unlike anything we had seen so far. And we knew what we were dealing with. But it's God's spirit that led us to that point. It was God's spirit that led us to that place. Do you pray and fast? Do you depend on him? As you live your life, are you dependent on how he's leading you and guiding you? He is the Spirit of God, God the Spirit in you. So the two of them, verse 4, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John, that's John Mark, was with them as their helper. So, so note, firstly, the Holy Spirit speaks to them. They recognized his voice likely through a prophetic word. Maybe it was audible. Right? None of us that day heard an audible voice in that sense, but I mean, I, I heard the word mockery in my head multiple times that day. That's why I wrote it down. We all did, all five of us at the same time, independent of each other. We didn't hear a voice together. We each heard the voice, if that makes sense. We heard, we heard his voice independently in the same room at the same time. So here the Holy Spirit is leading them. They're open to his leadership. He leads them and they go to Cyprus. It's an island. They get to this island. Now, now note, there's, there's multiple, it says this, Jewish synagogues with an S, plural. That's where often the believers would start, the apostles would start. They'd go to the Jewish synagogues. They'd go there to argue and debate that Christ is indeed the Messiah, that Jesus is him, that he indeed is the one who has come, and that he is the anointed one, the chosen one of God. And so here they are in this moment, and they're doing that very thing, because once God showed them where to go, they knew what to do, right? It's not like they got there and said, okay, God, what do we do now? They proclaimed the word. They did it in the synagogues. They knew what to do. God just had to show them where to go, right? We should, we should know what to do, right? The word is so clear on this. Like, we, I talked about this a number of weeks ago about our go, right? Around, around where we're called to go. All of us are missionaries. If you're a believer this morning, it's your call. All of us are missionaries. Every single one of us are ambassadors of Christ, ministers of reconciliation. The question is just a matter of where. Where is it? Where is your goal? Where is your house? Where is your apartment? Where is your place of work? 
Where is your education? I mean, that's your go, right there. Once we're at our go, we know what to do. And so they proclaim the word of God. It's, it's a matter of discerning where to go. I mean, some Christians act as if, as if God's will is, is this really complicated thing. God's word is so clear on so many things. Once we know where we're heading, we know what to do. The word tell, tells us, it explains us. So they're at Cyprus, and while they're there on the island, they proclaim the word of God um, as they follow the Spirit. They travel through the whole island until they come to um, Papas, that's the capital of Cyprus. They met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet there named Bar-Jesus. That means son of Jesus, not son of Jesus the Messiah. Jesus was a common name in that day, right? Just like Paul's a common name in our day, or Mark, or Tim, right? Jesus was a common name. It wasn't just Jesus that was named Jesus. So there's a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. Now, this isn't a false prophet, we'll see. He's not a believer, this isn't a false prophet in the sense of someone who's claiming to be a believer and issuing false prophecies. This is, this is someone very different than that. This is someone who's relying on demonization, relying on the demonic, relying on that type of occult-like activity for his power. And so it's false, Luke says. He was an attendant of the proconsul. The proconsul is the ruler of the province, basically. He's He's kind of like the premier, but would be more powerful. He could command the army. Um, he could, he could have people executed. So the proconsul is a Sergius Paulus. The proconsul was an intelligent man sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, that's Bar-Jesus, for that's what his name means, opposed them, tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elymas and said, you are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. So let me unpack a few things. They go to the capital. Political dignitary wants to meet with them the ruler, basically, of Cyprus. Not just in charge of the capital, but of the whole, the whole island. But he's kind of got a right-hand guy. Right-hand guy is Bar-Jesus, or Elias, who's a sorcerer. So likely, like in the day of Moses, where God granted Moses the power and ability to do some things, the demonic had granted Elias the power to do some things. And so because of that, Great influence amongst the proconsul, but the proconsul is intelligent. Note, note what verse seven says: He wants to hear the word of God. God's word is what changes people. God's word is what transforms people. He wants to hear the word of God. But Elias, Elimus knows. Uh, Elimus knows that if if they're saved, at least the demonic influence in him would know this. If they're saved, if the proconsul saved. His job's over. He's got nothing. The way he's making his money, the way he's earning a living, it's just done. And so he opposes them. Well, while he, he's opposed them, Saul, who was also called Paul, first time we find the name Paul mentioned, he's noticed filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, God's Spirit was in Paul, but in this moment, God's Spirit uniquely empowered him for the task at hand. That's the filling of the Spirit. The filling of the Spirit is when God's Spirit uniquely empowers you for that task at hand, whatever that task may be where God's Spirit just fills you powerfully to let you know that he's with you in this moment, whatever it looks like. Now, I want you to note this. In our, in our day of political correctness, I want you to hear how politically correct this is. Like, this is like me going to City Hall, and the mayor is interested in the Word of God. Well, let's, let's take it up a notch. Just like me going to Doug Ford, right? Because this is the province, right? And, and, and Doug Ford being interested in the Word of God and I discern that Doug Ford's right-hand man is demonized. And I say this, you are a child of the devil, an enemy of everything that is right. Now, many of us think we, you couldn't do that. Well, that's exactly what happened here. Well, Paul, no, Paul was filled with the Spirit. Paul said exactly what God wanted him to say. And for some of us, we struggle with that. We act as if we could never be that bold. 
But it's the boldness that sometimes God calls us to, especially in spiritual war. You're a child of the devil, an enemy of everything that is right. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? You are an enemy of everything that is right. Can you imagine saying that to someone? You are full of deceit and trickery, and you, will you never stop perverting the ways of the Lord. So God's hand is against you. That's what he says. Right there. And occasionally filled with the Spirit, that is what we are to say. I mean, I'm not saying you memorize this and copy these words. I'm just saying that there are moments of time. If you don't, if you don't think there aren't moments in life where you should say this, you completely don't understand spiritual warfare. You underestimate the enemy. If, if you don't think there's ever a time in life when you should be uttering words like this, like Dwayne, no. There is a war going on for the soul of humanity. Do you know that? That Jesus came and died for. And no words are minced here. None. Because a war is going on. And the Spirit has led Paul. He's filled. And he says you're going to be blind for a time. Why blindness? Maybe that's because that's how God grabbed the hold of Paul's life when he was Saul. He was blinded for a few days. And in that blindness, like I said earlier in Acts, I think he spent a lot of time. I, I, don't, I don't know if Paul, Saul, was saved in that moment on the Damascus Road when he was blind or if in those days when he was blind and during those days when he was thinking. I, I don't know that in the Damascus Road experience that we call it, if it was actually in that moment. There's three accounts of his conversion in Acts. doesn't say in any of the accounts. Or if while he thought in the darkness during those days, because what was he thinking about? He was a Pharisee. He was thinking about all of the Old Testament, Old Testament messianic promises of the Christ because Jesus had revealed himself. Who are you, Lord? I am Christ. I am Jesus. And so all through those days, he would have been thinking about all of the prophecies of the Old Testament and their fulfillment in Christ and what it meant that Christ fulfilled the law. And at some point during that time, he bent his knee to Jesus. And whether it was in that moment or whether it was during the next couple of days, I don't know, but he cast blindness on Bar-Jesus and Elymas. Maybe so that the same thing would happen to him. So, immediately, mist and darkness came over him. He groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand, just like Paul. And when the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. Now, people ask, is this a belief like Nebuchadnezzar seemed to believe and pronounce God being the God of all gods, then slip back? Likely not. As Luke talks about that term in Acts, likely this is a true saving faith he's talking about here. That he's actually truly converted. He's actually truly saved. So how do we understand the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to kind of whoosh from this passage to a whole bunch of other passages that will be in front of you. They were in the notes I sent out Friday. If you don't get our notes or our uh, email on Fridays, just email the office, office at James Orthodox Church. I send out sermon notes every Friday so we don't have just paper floating around. You can email them and ask for them. All these are in the notes. It's often just verses with a few thoughts. Mark 2, 20, 29. So, so you see here the Spirit's role involved in, in salvation, right? And you see the Spirit's role involved in a number of things. So, so, so how do we quench or grieve the Spirit? I want to start, start with this. We could rebel against the Spirit. Mark 3, 28 and 29 says this, Truly I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They're guilty of an eternal sin. So I have people come to me all the time and said, Have I blasphemed against the Holy Spirit? Have I committed the unpardonable sin? You see it mentioned in Matthew as well. My answer is, if you're worried about it, you haven't done it. Because the person who's worried about it is the person who's continuing to say to the Spirit of God, who's at work in their life, I don't want you. They're rejecting the Spirit of God's convicting work to bring them to a point in place of repentance of sin and trust in God for salvation. That's, that's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Christians cannot blaspheme the Holy Spirit. We can grieve or quench the Spirit. I'll get to that right now. 
But we can't blaspheme the Spirit. The blaspheme of the Spirit is only something a non-believer can do as God's Spirit is at work in their lives and they say, I don't want you. I don't want your convicting work. I don't want to feel guilty. I don't want you. As that occurs in someone's life, they are blaspheming the Holy Spirit. But we can grieve or quench the Holy Spirit. Listen to these words. This is 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 to 8. God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God who gives you the Holy Spirit. So when we're rebelling against God, we're rebelling against his spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 to 21. So do not put out the Spirit's fire. That's do not quench the Spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. So we have here one of the images in Scripture that we as believers are to quench God's Spirit as he's moving, as he's directing, as he's leading. We're not to put out the Spirit's fire. We also have here in Ephesians 4.30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And so we can grieve or quench God's Spirit. We do so by our sin. So when we're bitter, angry, resentful, lustful, arrogant, covetous, greedy. Now we often do this unintentionally, but let me give an example of this. So someone came to me this week and said they'd purchased a house in another city. I said, wow, why? And they said, we loved the house. I said, okay, pause right there. That's your answer. That's like the worst answer a Christian can give to why they purchased a house. Like, worst. We love the house. What? Okay, why would I say that? Because as Christians, we're praying about our go. We're fasting and praying about where we should go. That house may be ideal for ministry. That's a good answer. That house may be ideal for the gifts that God has given you so that you can reach the neighborhood around you. That's a great answer. I then said to them, did, did you pray about this and fast? And they said, no. Okay, let's move the fasting. Did you just pray about it? No. So no prayer, no fasting, saw a house, liked it, bought it, moved to their city. I'm like, really? Now, I say this kindly, but so often that's just how we live our lives. We live our lives as if God's spirit isn't there leading and guiding us. And then occasionally in moments, we act as if he's some source of power. He's a force that we just grab a hold of. He's not a force that you grab a hold of. He is God the spirit. We act as if we get to use him. He uses us. We reverse the whole thing. We, we act as if we grab a hold of him and we want some power or we want some insight or we want some ability. No, no, no. He is God, the Spirit, the Lord. And we are to rely on him in relationship with him as he leads and guides and directs us often through his word, prayer, and fasting. He's not someone we just grab a hold of every so often we need him. He's not power like the force. Like we're not Star Wars people. The force is not the Holy Spirit. He is God the Spirit, the Lord. And if you're a believer today, he's in you. Is that not incredible? God the Spirit, the Lord, is in you to lead you to guide you, me, to show us what that looks like. And so the first thing we should be praying about is, Lord, where would you have us live? Let's really fast about this. Is this really going to be a good place to raise our kids? Man, what was prohibiting about the last place we lived? I mean, Amy and I have thought about this. We love to host. You know, we're, we're inviting people over. We invite all the elders and staff and their kids over for a party uh, thank you thing that we do in July. And then we invite all the community group leaders over in June, sorry, again in June. We, we love to host stuff like that. But man, if it rains, our living space is a little small. Like we'll never, like it would just be all holes barred in our house. Like it's crowded. So if God ever called us to move, one of the things we've talked about is, Lord, we'd love to host. We would love to have more hosting area. I'm not saying a bigger house necessarily because maybe it's less bedrooms. But, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with putting that on your list and saying, okay, this is how the Lord's wired us. 
This, this would work for us. This is what we'd like to do. There's nothing wrong with making a purchase that allows you to be, you know, that God allows you to use it for ministry, for his glory and honor and, and the good of others. There's nothing wrong with any of that, but it's spirit-directed as he allows you to do so. Does that, does that make sense? There's nothing wrong with buying a condo in Fort Myers. It's not something that God leads you to do. But it's a center of ministry. Right? One of the people I know that did something like that, they, they, they lent their condo out for free to all kinds of people who just needed a vacation, a place to go who otherwise couldn't afford to go on vacation. And they bought a minivan, even though they didn't need a minivan for their family, so that people with families could go down and they had to play a, a thing, a vehicle they could use without needing to rent a car. And he got brought before the condo board at one point in time and was told, you can't be doing this. He said, they said, you're not allowed to rent your condo out in this gated community. And he said to them, I don't, I don't rent it out. I give it away for free. And no one knew what to do with that. There was no rule against that because no one had done that, right? No one had done that. Like, what do you mean you give it away for free? He's like, oh, I, I, I let people who need a place to go come here and use it throughout the year, right? When we're not using it so they could be blessed by it and they can have a vacation. And the whole condo board was like, you do what? Now, of course, in the world's eyes, and they need a new rule that says people can't do that, but that doesn't seem, like even in the world's eyes, when you say you're letting people come who can't afford to do it and it's all at your expense, that doesn't seem very good to write a rule that says you can't do that. That seems a little preposterous, right? And he's like, are, are people that are coming here, are they bothersome, troublesome, are they difficult? No, they've been the nicest people. Like, the people that come here have been so nice. He's like, so what's the problem? And they don't know how to answer that, right? Because there's a man led by God's Spirit, with his wife, a couple, figuring out what this looks like. Man, I, I don't have this figured out. I, I mess this up all the time. But I've tried to learn and grow in my years of what it means to not quench or grieve God's spirit as much in my anger or frustration or my own way of wanting to do things and learn to listen to him more. You know, going through COVID, I didn't speak very often. I did a few events that were virtual, that were fun. Um, and, uh, and coming out of COVID, I get all kinds of speaking requests again. Right? And so I say no to most of them. But occasionally, as, as I'm just praying through things, I'm like, okay, Lord, what does this look like? So there's a church in, in uh, Oshawa, a fairly big church, that asked if I would come. And, and I wasn't just interested in going and speaking there. They're not looking to support us. Like, let's say People's Church Toronto that supports us, or Hope Oakville, or others, where I, I go and they support us in our ministry here. Um, but they're doing an outreach on Father's Day. They're doing a huge old car show, antique car show, and they're doing a massive lunch for all the guys that bring their cars and all the people that come and see the cars. And they said, we want someone that can come and just clearly present the gospel. And we think that's your gift. And I actually think it's a gift God's given me too. And so as I prayed through it, I'm like, okay, I'll go do that. That's one of the ones I'll say yes to. And I just kind of prayed about it. But God grants you wisdom in knowing kind of who you are, how he's gifted you, what your wheelhouse is like. And so for a bunch of other stuff, it's easy to say no because I just didn't sense God's spirit saying yes to any of that. And as I was praying through that list of invitations and I saw that one, it was just like the Lord highlighted it. I mean, he didn't, but it, just, it was just there shining, right? And, and so you just kind of discern that kind of stuff, right? Like there's a variety of factors that go into this, but at the end of the day, it's just you praying and fasting and saying, God, would you lead me? God, would you direct me? Spirit of God, would you show me what this looks like? And he's going to lead all of us a bit differently in that. But he's in you. Is that not great news? Spirit of God is in you. He is the Lord leading you and guiding you. So listen to this. This is from John 16, 5 to 11. Uh, but I tell you the truth, Jesus says, it is good for you that I'm going away, because unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin, righteousness, and judgment. Note those three things. The Spirit is going to come to convict the world of guilt in regard to sin. That's one. He's going to come around righteousness and around judgment. And then Jesus expands it. This is a really important passage in Scripture. In regard to sin, Jesus says, because men don't believe in me. So what he's saying is that because men have stopped believing in me or don't believe in me, don't believe in the Messiah, the Spirit of God is going to come and bring conviction of their need for me. So that's one of the things I pray when I'm praying for people. Spirit of God, would you convict my friend of their need for Jesus as Savior? It's one of the rules. The Spirit says that he does. Number, verse 10, in regard to righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can no longer see me. So when Jesus was here, he was your standard for righteousness. 
Everybody said, if you want to know what God would do if God were here, God was here in the person of Jesus, look at Jesus, that's what God would do. So you knew how to live righteously because you lived like Jesus lived. He's gone now. How do you know how to live righteously now? Well, the word of God tells us, and the spirit of God convicts us. Jesus says, I won't be here, but my spirit will be in you. Is that not great? Jesus says, I, 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 I won't be here physically anymore, but my spirit is in you. And as you rely on my spirit, he's going to show you how to be righteous. And then three, in regard to judgment, in regard to the fact that you're actually saved and not condemned because the prince of the world now stands condemned. So look at these really quickly. In John 16, in regard to sin, because men don't believe in me. Listen to this, Titus 3, 4 to 6. But when the kindness of and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Now note this. Paul goes on and explains us. He saved us through the washing of rebirth by renewal of the Holy Spirit, who be poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Lord, who's instrumental in your salvation, the Holy Spirit. Pay attention. I'm going to ask you to say a few more words here. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 to 5. Look at this. When I came to you, brothers and sisters, this is Paul going into Corinth, where they worshiped the Greek goddess Aphrodite with 600 prostitutes at her temple through orgies. That's how they worshiped. Paul goes into Corinth and he says this in this sexually enslaved culture. When I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He said, I proclaimed Jesus. I came to you in weakness and fear and trembling. He said, I knew I couldn't change a heart or a soul. And my message were not with wise and persuasive words, but with demonstration of the Spirit's power. So that your faith may not rest on man's wisdom, but on God's power. So we rely on the Holy Spirit as we're crying out for people to be saved. Spirit of God, convict them. Spirit of God, renew them. Spirit of God... Right? Same around sanctification. In John 16, he says, in regard to righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. 2 Thessalonians 2.13 says, but we ought always to thank God for you, brothers loved by the Lord, because from the beginning, God chose, to be, God chose you to be saved, notice, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in him. So you see his work here both in sal salvation and it calls him the sanctifier, the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Peter says it in 1 Peter 1, 2. We have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. So this is, Spirit of God, search me. Spirit of God, show me where I'm sitting. Show me, we talked a few weeks ago about, well, I guess I talked, I was at the front, but about repentance and what it means that we should be repenting every day. And some of you are like, man, I don't know if I have anything to repent of every day. I'm like, man, then you don't know yourself. And you don't understand the holiness of God. You don't understand your sin. If you can really come to me and say, you don't know if you have anything to repent of every day, whew, you are blind. So Spirit of God, search me. Spirit of God, show me. Where, where am I sinning? Where, where God? And then he seals us in regard to judgment because the prince of the world now stands condemned. And I should say this before I move on. You can also pray God's spirit. Ephesians talks about this. God's sanctifying presence on someone else. God, would you sanctify my brother or my sister? They're struggling in sin. Anyway, in regard to judgment, because the prince of the world now stands condemned. This has not been common in my life. I'm not sure why. But I know there are many believers that struggle with their assurance of salvation. And constantly the enemy tries to show them that they are not saved. Tries to let them think that they aren't believers. The enemy tries to fool them into believing they're not sons or daughters of the living God. But, but what Jesus is saying in regard to judgment, he's saying the spirit of God is going to do this. He's going to show you that you aren't condemned and the enemy is. Is that not great news? That you aren't condemned, but the enemy is. Ephesians 1, and you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. He's your seal. Notice, Paul goes on. He is your deposit who guarantees your inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Look at the language. When you believed, you're marked with the seal. 
That seal is the Holy Spirit. He is your deposit who guarantees your inheritance until your redemption. That is great news. And so the enemy is condemned. And we are not. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So quickly, I'll be done in the next six minutes. How do we do it together? That's this text. This text isn't about us doing this individually, although that happens. This text in Acts 12 and 13 is about doing it collectively. How do we do this together? Well, one of the things that happens is we have to ask God what he's calling us to, which sometimes is different than what he's calling you to. That's really important. Sometimes what God is calling us to is different than what God's calling you to. Now, if you're part of this church community, we want you to be part of what God's calling us to. But like I've had people, because I've, I, in speaking across the country at times, I've tackled the topic of sanctity of life and abortion. And people will hear me speak in different forums and come here and say, wow, this church must be really focused on that issue. And we're not. We're not. But because they hear me speak about it in places, and I've done it numbers of times, because it's an issue that's close to my heart. And I know it's close to many of our hearts. But it's not an issue we've taken up. Because you can't take up every issue. You just can't. I'm not saying that that doesn't mean we're strongly pro-life. I'm not saying that I don't ever talk about it here. You've heard me talk about it here if you've been here any length of time, numbers of times. I'm just saying that we're typically not organizing volunteers for centers. We're typically not involved with marches. That's just not been something that we've done. And so people would be like, well, like, I mean, this is my passion. I'm like, praise God, it's your passion. It's not something we sense God has called us collectively to yet. Students, we love students. A whole bunch of you here are students from Mac and Redeemer. Maybe some Mohawk. And we love students. But you don't see our presence on campus. We're not actively on campuses trying to get students to come. In fact, this year I was asked to speak at three different campuses in the area. And I said no to all three. Partly it was busyness and partly was we were like, okay, we're not looking to just draw more students. Now, when students are here, we love students, right? If students need ministry, we walk alongside of students. Many students here, some of you I'm looking at, I'm not going to name any names, don't worry. But have come to us for pastoral counseling, has asked for us for help, have walked alongside of us with stuff, I've gone out with you for coffee or lunch, or others of our staff have. You've been part of our young adult ministry, and I've been training you and working with you because we love students. But it's never been one of our focuses. So when someone comes here who's a part of a campus ministry, he says, let's get James North to do this. I'm like, no, that's not our calling. It's something we've really prayed about over the years. And we love what we do. We're happy if students come out of the cold. Right, people, man, you've got, you've got housing. You should do out of the cold. And man, I'll tell you, there's a leaning there, right, to turn this whole part of the building out of, out of the cold sometimes because our shelter system in the city is now vacant of the gospel. Those former Christian ministries are no longer in any way, I mean this, declaring the gospel. The gospel is gone from every men's residence and shelter in our city. It is gone. I know that. I talk to these people. So is there a leaning in my heart to do that, to bring men in and feed them or women and declare the gospel? Of course there is. But it's not one of the things that God's called us to do. And I can keep going, right? There's some of you that have come to me and said, what about preach, street preaching? I, I street preached my whole four years at Tyndale with groups of students. I loved it. I did it sometimes when I was with other pastors in other cities at conferences. We would just be on a corner and I'd be like, guys, are we in? And they're like, in for what? I'm like, let's just declare the gospel. It's a busy corner. They're like, Dwayne, we have no paraphernalia. We have no... I said, we've got the Holy Spirit. Let's just go, guys. Right? I'll start to preach, or one of you start to preach, and others of you just start to pray, and others of you join in. And, and so I love street preaching. I've never ever done it once in Hamilton. Pe people come here, and they're like, man, we should be down at Jackson Square, and we should be, and I'm like, that's not our calling at James North. But it could be a passion that I have. I was thinking about it as I wrote this out today. I thought, could you imagine what Amy, Halifax, this, oh, the smile I just got. I just got a great smile. Um, in Halifax, I'm like, but if the Lord was leading me, yeah, she's nodding, yeah. Um, I could go on, Christian school. How many people come to me and say, let's start a Christian school? Am I passionate about where the education system of our culture is? Did we just not host a conference on it up at West Highland about the shifts in our culture? I am. Is it our calling to start a Christian school? I could go on, couldn't I? Adoption, fostering ministry, celebrate recovery. So here's what we do. People come to us and say, hey, I'm really passionate about it. I'm like, okay, that's good. I want you to think about who else in the church is passionate about this with you. Is there a group of you? If there's a group of you, I want you to meet. We have kind of this startup ministry thing. We want you to pray and fast about whether or not the Lord's leading you to something together. What would that look like? 
And are you willing to give leadership to it for the next three years? And that's just where people say, pardon? I'm like, well, if you're thinking the church should do it, like you're, you're the church, so you're saying you should do it. No, that's not what I was saying. Well, no, that's what I'm hearing because it's the church. You're the church. So, so we're just asking you to prayerfully discern this, think through this, take this, right? Pray about it. And there are times where people have come back and said, yeah, there's six of us. Somebody's going to give leadership for two years. We've got some dreams and passions. We're in. And the elders, okay, we need to pray and fast about this. We need to call out to the church and see if there's a larger group that's interested in this. That's how we, we didn't have any youth in our church. We had zero youth in our church when we hired a youth pastor. Two, sorry, we had two. That's not true, we had two. Why would you hire a youth pastor when you have two youth? 20, what is it now, six years ago? I don't know, 25 years ago? Because we were burdened for the at-risk youth in our community. We were running children's ministry before most of us had kids and inviting kids to the neighborhood because we were burdened for that and we were collectively burdened for it. And to this day, our children's and youth ministry aren't only serving our youth and our teens, but the teens and youth around us. Because we believe this is something that God's Spirit led us to. God's Spirit led us to housing unanimously together as a congregation as we thought through all the ramifications. I mean, that was multiple meetings with lots of complexities that we just cried out to God's Spirit on and spent time fasting and praying. And what does this look like? Our care for the marginalized with the hub and copies on. And then this is what you do. You just begin to discern with the Spirit of God, where are you at work? Spirit of God, where are you working? And that seems to be where God's Spirit leads your community for that season. That's not to say all the stuff I just listed isn't stuff we won't one day do. But it's not in this season. And right now, when we really discern, do we do soccer? Do we not do soccer? Do we do cross trainers? Coming out of the pandemic, what's God calling us to do? And, and he's really rejigged some things. But then lately, I've watched God work. Right? Because we've cared for refugees. We've just adopted the whole Karen. Ministry here in Hamilton at our expense. Us, our expense. It's our ministry. And in the last year, we've seen like 15 of them come to faith in Christ. 12 of them baptized. Doesn't that seem like God's spirit is at work there? In our young adult ministry, I mean, I remember praying and saying, God, who's going to lead this? And I, I went to Jordy and said, Jordy, I know you're 19, you're a kid. Are you open to this? And he said, I need to pray and fast about it. And he said, oh, by the way, as I pray and fast about it, can I talk to Kylie? I'm like, sure. You're like, your girlfriend? He's like, yeah, yeah, because I'm going to ask her to marry me over Christmas. I'm like, what? You're going to what? You're 19. What are you talking about? He's like, yeah, yeah. And then I officiated at the wedding, so it all worked out. It was great. And I said, yeah. And, and Jordy came back and said, yeah, Dwayne, I, I would do that, but I need a team. And we began to pray about what that team around him would look like and who that would be. And, and like, we'll average many Friday nights, 50, sometimes up to 60 to 70 young adults here. And what's happened? All of a sudden, a whole group of our youth who grew up coming to our ministries and programs, not all in the church, who kind of vacated and checked out, I think there's now seven of them coming on Friday nights. A group of them are here right now this morning as I talk. And you just see God's spirit moving. You see him working. You're like, okay, I'm in. God, your spirit is doing something here right now. Your spirit is at work in a unique way right now. So we're going to walk alongside of these young people. We're going to see what God's doing. We're going to watch Isaiah baptize in Evan on a Sunday morning because your spirit is at work. Right here, amongst the immigrants. I, I, I come to a dinner on, on Easter weekend that you guys served at. All I did was show up and talk to people. I didn't make a thing, I prayed. I prayed for the dinner too, that's my gift. Prayed for the dinner. And I talked to people. And God in our coffees on and hub ministry, because, because uh, Marcio had, had uh, COVID a week and a half ago, I had to preach at the hub. I'm in the hub, in, I've never been to the hub in this building. And I gave the Easter message at the hub. And I talked to so many people. And I can tell you this. God is at work in their midst. And so instead of starting three new ministries, maybe God's spirit is saying, hey, we now have seven or eight young adults that are looking for disciples. Who's going to disciple them from our crowd? We now have a whole bunch of Karen who need disciples. Who's going to do that? And some of you are doing that in Bible studies with them and walking alongside of them. We have a whole number of people that are marginalized in our midst. They're looking for someone to talk to. And they're wanting to understand the Lord. Who's going to do that? And I could go on as we launch this Brazilian plant and we discern together what God's calling us to do. And he'll lead us. Listen, this last week, Derek sat in my office on Wednesday. We had to make a big decision. Who are we hiring? We had money for four summer students. We, had, we wanted to hire more with Diana's retirement. We had no money, none committed from the government so far. 
And we're like, okay, Lord, th- this is crazy. So Derek and I went through them. He went through the list of people we walked about. At one point in the meeting, I said to Derek, Derek, how are you going to raise this $60,000? Because Derek said, what are you talking about? Well, I said, how, God, how is God going to provide it? What is this going to look like? So at the end of the meeting, at 1130, we had stopped me. I said, we just need to take today and pray and ask God's spirit to lead us. By the time I was done staffing, the government had sent an email to us saying that we'd received the money for the summer students. The next day, we found out that us and the other organization we're both were working with both received the money. And so we went from having no money on Wednesday morning to $160,000 in summer student employment money on, on Thursday because God's spirit said, I'll do it. And I just said to Derek, we just got to trust God. God will show. I didn't throw a fleece out. I just said, God's got to lead us in this. We have to make a decision by tomorrow. So I prayed just diligently all day Wednesday. Okay, God, this is tomorrow, God. Now, I realize you can go back and say everybody across, you know, I don't know, southern Ontario got the same email on Wednesday. I know they did. I don't know if they were praying about it, but I was. Maybe they got it because I prayed. I don't know. I just know that I was praying. The, the government didn't tell us when it was coming, right? I was just like, Lord, we need to know. And the Lord said, okay. And then, this was, I'm not trying to be silly here, but we got the indication that we were getting the grant, and I'm like, Lord, we need the amount. Because they don't always give you what you ask for. And then they gave us more than we asked for. Lord, Lord this, is, this is like the sweetest deal I've ever, I've ever been a part of, Lord. This is amazing. And God does that. Jesse, you guys can come up. So are you fasting and praying like that? Is God speaking to people in your life like that? Do, do you hear his spirit speaking through the word like that. And I'm going to admit, I'm not always good at this. It's something I'm working on. Learning how to rely on the spirit and his voice in my life as a family, as a part of a leadership team with elders, staff. It's a lifelong process. But oh, it's one we want to be a part of, isn't it? God's spirit is in you. Is that not good news? Not as a force that you can access when you want because you need some power. But as a counselor and guide, God the Spirit, that you can get to know. You can get to know him who walks alongside of you day by day, who will lead and guide you as a Christian filled by him. Join us in singing this song as our prayer.